0: Alexa, what time is it?
1: The time is 6 27 pm.
0: Welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast.
1: The time is 6 27 pm.
0: <laughs> Ian, I can hear you repeating actually the live stream, so that's not at all confusing. Does that help? Hello, and welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. Ian, are you unmuted again?
1: Blue and yellow, till we die. <laughs> I'm Ian Tiny Morris.
0: <laughs> and I'm Simon Sansbury.
1: <laughs> so they changed something then again. Uh, it's like watching a gorilla with a chainsaw working with a mule with a spinning wheel. It's not pretty, is it? Oh God. Ah, <laughs> uh, so the phone muted me. I think I got finally got myself onto Facebook Live by accident on my laptop. So you could hear me on Facebook Live, but not on the device we're meant to be broadcasting on. So I've left Facebook alone now, Simon. So um, welcome.
0: <laughs> yes. Hello and welcome. Um, eagle-eyed observers will notice that when I stop sharing the, um, the pre-sequence, Will notice that I'm at a slightly different angle because I've introduced an extra screen into my setup so that I can actually um, have a better chance of trying to figure out what's going on all the time that I'm actually trying to listen to, speak to guests, and um, and correct Ian when he's wrong on those you know odd occasions that that happens. Oh, stop,
1: stop <laughs> it.
0: So day um,
1: ninety-seven.
0: Yeah, how's this week been for you?
1: Yeah, not too bad this week. Uh, Father's Day, obviously today, so Happy Father's Day to everybody that's out there. So, um, no, it's all been uh, it's all been very jolly, and um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, always all, all a thing, isn't it? So it's uh, it's, yes, um, yeah, oh, no, happy with my lot.
0: Good, excellent. Yeah, my week's not been not been eventful in any way whatsoever. So I'm just glad. To have another week where there was no cat-based disasters and where basically I didn't injure my back to the point that I was waddling around like an eighty-year-old, um, spending just trying to get up There,
1: there was there was cake gate.
0: Cake gate. Oh yes, yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm. so yeah. we 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 popped around uh, my mum and dad's, um, which are Ian's mother and father-in-law, um, to wish my dad Happy Father's Day. Um, and my, socially distant? In, in a socially distanced way I mean I'm part of their bubble but um, we were out in the garden basically socially distanced um, all responsible and everything and my mum asked me there were there were there was proffering of cake and I was asked which cake I would like um, and in the end settled on the on the chocolate cake and then afterwards I was asked how it was because she wasn't because she said that she wasn't sure how it was um and I replied saying that I thought that the sponge was a little bit dry, which
1: a bit dry uh,
0: a which, bit dry which got me an
1: ooh. Ooh. yeah
0: um yeah, to which um yes, yeah. so I haven't quite been banished from the household, but um but there we go. so before we get it because because uh, we liked doing on this day, I at least last,
1: calm, I at least calms things down a bit later.
0: Yes, yes. Um, Ian then was a bit of a creep with um, suggesting, you know, feeding back about how excellent the other cake was. So, um, you know, bless him. I'm sure the other cake was excellent. Um, But I'd spent the week working through a Victoria sponge cake um, from my Lib Dem friends. Um, And we've already been joined by Jill and by Phil. So evening um hi phil phil says evening so um we quite enjoyed with the on this day last week we thought that was quite good for setting a bit of a scene and for helping us understand historical imperative imperative does that even work as i'm i'm using anyway solid um so we're going to do on this day but before we do on this day um who have we got coming on later on ian
1: so we've got nick sebley um from the portsmouth street space campaign which is uh Uh, an organisation, a lot of the sort of green factions um, and and various groups around the city sort of coming together um, to advocate um, more more space for walking and cycling. So I'm sure Nick's going to give us a great insight into uh, what they're shooting for and um, what they hope to achieve.
0: Um, Yeah, indeed. And um, as you literally, as you said that, Nick is sat in the green room, so in the in the virtual green room, he's in the waiting room, ready ready for us to join so but before we before we bring Nick in um it'll be great to actually hear from him um on this day, so in I'll do these in chronological order um I've obviously edited the complete list because you know we don't want to bore you all to death yeah, yeah more yeah. than normal so on this day in seventeen eighty eight the u s constitution comes into effect when New Hampshire is the ninth state to ratify it. You know, these unions of sovereign states, they're never successful, are they? They don't work. Never catch on. Never um, catch on. In 1915, the US Supreme Court hands down its decision in uh, Gwynn versus United States 238, um, yeah, there's a um, obviously a re- record number, striking down an Oklahoma law denying the right to vote to some citizens. So, hmm. Rights to votes. In 1921, the UK and the Dominions and India became the British Commonwealth of Nations. So Empire... Well that is
1: one that's caught on. That seems to have staying proud of Commonwealth, doesn't it?
0: So Empire Um, by Another Name, right?
1: Um, Yeah, but but the Empire by Another Name, we'll maybe have a show on that. The fact is that folk have chosen to join afterwards. They said, we'll have a piece of that. Joined it. Dun, dun,
0: dun, 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 dun. Oh okay. stop
1: it. Nineteen
0: forty eight the HMT Empire Windrush with the first of eight hundred um emigrants from the West Indies to arrive in the UK arrives at Tilbury Docks near London. In nineteen fifty-six anti protons were detected in the atmosphere. Um whereas of course the much more recent discovery has been the prevalence of morons. Um in nineteen sixty
1: four. Do you like what I did with there? No? Okay. I, I did, yeah, no, there's rhythm, no, In Go 1964,
0: three civil rights workers, um, Michael Schwerner, Andrew Goodman and James Cheney, disappear after being released from a Mississippi jail and then later found murdered by members of the Ku Klux Klan. In 1978, a bit of light-hearted relief, Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim yeah. Rice's musical Evita premieres in London, but, you know. Oh, i got another love a bit of Evita. Don't cry for me, Argentina. I've been to her,
1: I've, I've been to her grave have you ever you Peron? yeah no I've got, yeah i've got to travel with work and uh i found myself in buenos aires with a spare afternoon went to uh she's in a strange old thing it's like a it's like a little miniature village to the dead where they build sort of little houses and temples as, as sort of shrines so yeah, she's in amongst there but okay. um, yeah want to tick off the list
0: well there is i was going to recant some lines from Evita, but um, I, I can't without getting them really, really wrong, so I'm not going to do it. In the year 2000, Section, section 28, the, um, the law outlawing the promotion of homosexuality in the United Kingdom is repealed in Scotland. Um, it wasn't until later that it was repealed um, in the rest of the UK. In 2004, Spaceship One becomes the first privately funded space plane to achieve spaceflight. And in 2019, UK police are called to house of then-leader contender Boris Johnson over alleged altercation with his girlfriend.
1: God, was that a year ago? Yeah. Bloody hell. Time flies when you're having fun, doesn't it, eh? It, it, oh, here's Millsy. It, Hello, Millsy it, boy. It,
0: it does indeed. Um, oh, I should shut off the alerts on my, on my iPad. So um, we now have um, Malcolm joining us, asking if he's missed anything. Not so much really, mate. We are just about to um we're just about to get our guest in. So
1: and get uh, him to give a thumbs up if he can see he was very troubled by my uh only seeing the top of my head in last week's episode. Oh so yeah, Malcolm Malcolm is him.
0: how's Ian's visage this week? Is it is it working? We've we've spent Is it working for you? We've spent ages finding a technical solution um to to that problem. So, um I'm gonna go and let um Let's let Let, Nick in. Let's let Nick in from the green room. And welcome, Nick. Hello, mate. Welcome. Have we got audio? We're just coming in with video. We can see you, but we can't hear you yet. Hang on. Let me send an ask to unmute request. Oh, I think we've got sound. No? Yes? We can't hear you. Can We can see you.
2: There you go. Yes. Is that any better? That's oh, better. Yes, marvelous.
0: there we go. Uh, Nick, is it better to call you Nick or Nicholas? Sorry.
2: Nick's fine, Yeah. yes. Nick, well,
1: so so th- welcome, Nick. Yes,
2: thank you for joining Hello. us, mate.
1: Welcome.
2: Hi. You must be Ian and your Simon.
0: Yes. Um, the oh. guy with the glasses is Simon and the guy with the um, the other one is Ian.
1: <laughs> <laughs> where where were you going with that? I am yeah. Well, I was going to say that, the guy but, with yeah. less hair,
0: but there's not really much in it. So
1: yeah, no, no. Well, well, we'll let that pass. <laughs> yeah. So, Nick, welcome to the Pompey Politics podcast. Hello, Would mate. you like like to introduce yourself and your organisation?
2: Well, yeah, I'm um, sort of representing uh, a campaign called Pompey Street Space. So this was set up in the middle of May as we were, we were sensing that the lockdown was going to ease. And it was basically asking the council to provide an alternative to people using cars and public transport. So that basically meant, you know, creating sort of pop-up temporary cycle infrastructure. So people cycling, uh, during the lockdown, went up 125%. There was loads of people cycling, and that's good. There's lot, There's lots of benefits of cycling um, in terms of air pollution, easing congestion, uh, good for huge benefits public health as well. So, you know, that's why central government said we need to try and capture that behaviour change. Um, and we were seeing that happening in Southampton. We were seeing that happening in Brighton, London. We weren't seeing anything really happening in, in Portsmouth. So that's why we set up the campaign to sort of say, come on, uh, Portsmouth City Council, do do something.
1: So in terms of the, 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 the groups and the, the, the different organisations that are sort of represented by this campaign, hmm. who's kind of working alongside you?
2: Well, we, um, it's Portsmouth Friends of the Earth that have already helped the council with their walking routes that is part of this. Uh, every council has to come up with this kind of plan called the LC WIT now, which is cycling and walking routes. So Portsmouth Friends of the Earth had already been helping them with that. Um, then it's Portsmouth Cycle Forum that had helped them with the cycling side of that plan. Um, it was also a group called Portsmouth Playing Out, which uh, I don't know if you've heard of them, but no, no, they're no. involved in sort of temporary road closures um, so the kids can come and play on the street for an afternoon. Which the council supports, so it was a lot of groups that you know already had a relationship with the council. It was also Extinction Rebellion Portsmouth, um, and a couple of others that I've completely forgotten. <laughs> I think yeah, the Portsmouth
1: Portsmouth Greens were involved as well, aren't they?
2: Portsmouth Green Drinks, yes. So that was Claire Seek, who, who's very much involved with um, a lot of the kind of green initiatives in the city and has been for a long time.
1: So ultimately, then. Uh, what is it you're shooting for?
2: Well, we want really what, like I said, what we've seen elsewhere, um, which is, I mean, in the immediate term, what we wanted was like um, uh, cycle streets that were continuous because that's, that's the only thing that works. You know, if a cycle path sort of abruptly ends and suddenly you're in a, a dangerous, busy road, that people just don't, it doesn't increase cycling. It doesn't make people feel safe. So we wanted them to put in a kind of continuous route there was, there's all this stuff already been written. Um, there was a plan in 2018 for a parallel cycle street to London road that would take cyclists off London road, basically. So that would help ease congestion on London road and provide a safe route for families and people that want to commute to work to get from North end to South to So it's all pretty, you know, it's all pretty rational stuff, but the council just haven't managed to do it. Um, and it's kind of quite frustrating.
1: So, what do you think is holding them back, Nick?
2: Well, it's you know, there's obviously all sorts of um, you know difficulties and challenges in terms of uh, you know we're an island. There's only three roads off off the island. Uh, we've got narrow streets and all that sort of stuff. But uh, none of it is insurmountable. You know, if you've got the political determination. And I, to be honest, you know, if I had to, you know, sum it up, I'd say what's lacking really is, is the determination to make it happen. There's a sort of vague desire to make it happen, but because it's actually quite a complex problem, it needs determination um, to, to to bring it, uh, to just kind of realise it.
1: So I guess one of the, you know, reasonably well publicised um, sort of events in this space recently was the, the intention to turn... One of the lanes of the Eastern Road into a, a sort of a cycle superhighway um, that was sort of announced. I think yeah. there was some there was some backlash from some local businesses. Um, there seemed mm. to be, you know, th- there was there was a, a lot of noise, and then and then that kind of that that plan got shelved. Um, th- did you get any insights as to as to kind of why that didn't fly?
2: Well, in my view, they left it too late. Um, you know, as as uh, the lockdown was easing, the traffic levels were picking up, that road was becoming busy. Uh, they, they say that they were advised, I think by the highways authority or someone, that it was now, it would cause a pinch point um, mm. further down the track kind of thing. So they were, and also the cycle forum had some, you know, doubts because there was no physical, barrier there it was just paint um and you know paint isn't protection and you had cars going at 40 miles an hour next to cyclists so yeah i think they just it it just left it too late so it became kind of untenable And, and that's the difficulty with you know this situation is to capture that behavior change there was a time pressure to do that and you can't just if you don't give people alternatives to public transport, they're gonna jump in their car or if they don't have a car, you know, they're gonna to have to risk public transport. And that's, that's kind of the thing that I, I find frustrating is it's a bit of a social justice issue really. Take um, Charles Dickens ward, one of the poorest wards in Portsmouth, one of the poorest wards in the country actually, he's in, you know, quite deprived. 64% of the people in that ward do not own a car. Mm. So a lot of those people are gonna, you know, their choice was using public transport uh, or cycling and walking. Um, and it's not really safe to cycle in Portsmouth. That's, you know, if you look at the statistics, a thousand cyclists, over a thousand cyclists have been injured in the last decade. That's one of the worst uh, injury rates in the country outside of London. Um, and it's not safe because there isn't this joined up infrastructure. So, yeah, Um they, you know, they had this kind of narrow opportunity to actually intervene, um, and uh, it didn't happen.
1: So, you know, obviously one of the one of the challenges now is that, um, you know, public transport is now an even less appealing option exactly. to your own personal car. Yeah, um, and and I guess the. the you know, when it boils down to it then, Nick, are we just in a position where, you know, when we've talked about this before, when we talk about parking zones and we talk about the congestion, you know, and and if you look at the three main arteries in and out of the city, you know, there was a brief period during complete lockdown where they got quiet, mm-hmm. but they're back to being nose to tail, you know, at, at the early and end of each day. Yeah. Do you think... Do you think that, that that window of opportunity was genuinely there? Or yeah, is it just yeah. a case of Port, Portsmouth Portsmouth loves its cars too much to ever give them up?
2: Oh, I, don't, I don't think. I um, I think um, the council do this as well. They tend to sort of put responsibility onto, you know, well, I read an email from, it was forwarded, forwarded to me from one of the important people in the council saying, what could we do? People got back in their cars. And it's like, if you don't give people alternatives, what are they supposed to do? It's it's um, of City Council are the transport authority. That's their jurisdiction. They have jurisdiction over roads other than the motorway. So they, they could have uh, acted. Obviously, they were under pressure because, mm. and you know, this is where There are complexities because of austerity, because of cuts, things like that. Their transport planning team is pretty pared back. They had a lot of pressure in terms of organising school transport when the schools were, um, when they were told the schools were going to reopen, you know, they have to, there's a lot of kids with kind of special needs that needed transport. So there are these sort of mitigating circumstances. But, you know, when you've been in power for 12 of the last 16 years and, you know, during that period, nothing's changed. Uh, so carbon emissions, for example, haven't dropped for 11 years. They're now 37% of Portsmouth's carbon emissions are road transport. Mm. They're the biggest source of carbon emissions. They haven't gone down at all, despite declaring a climate emergency, despite we all knowing that that needs to change. The cycling rates hardly improved in terms of injuries. Congestion with the fourth... Um, the joint fourth most congested city outside of London. So, you know, there's all these issues. And I think, you know, I'm not saying it was easy, but, you know, if there had been the political determination, um, which we've seen elsewhere, we know, because we can compare it to other places that did. Southampton um, published a comprehensive transport recovery plan. So, you know, you have to ask the question, what is it about us to... The, you know is it the deports and people love their cars more than people in southampton i, I don't think so do you, um but it's a vicious circle isn't it because if you don't give people alternatives then they get into the habit of using cars and then it becomes almost like a cultural thing um and certainly we've had a lot of uh, you know almost like attacking comments on our campaign from motorists and things like that,
0: that, that meant interesting you mentioned kind of that that point nick um, with regard to kind of mm-hmm. some of yours, I mean, I've seen you, you've you've um you've been sharing quite a lot of posts recently on social media, and I've seen some of the some of the conversations, and I'll use that word politely, that kind of come back out that are aimed at you, and they kind of mm-hmm. seem to have the narrative of well, you know, you, you know, and it's the, and it's to be fair, it's it's probably a, a lazy simplistic narrative, but they seem to have this idea that you just hate cars and you just hate car drivers, um, yeah. so um you know, do you just, <laughs> just, just to kind of
2: <laughs> check. Um, well, I, you know, my, my mom's a car driver. My best friend's a car driver. When, um, my daughter, when my partner went into, into labor with my daughter, we, you know, we drove to QA in a car with my, mm. my, her father drove us to QA. So it's not that I hate car drivers, but I don't, uh, I don't think a city should be dominated by them. Um, by cars because the results are just not good uh, in terms of just you know air, air pollution just take that alone um it gives kids asthma you know there's a lot of kids with asthma in 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 Portsmouth um and it's directly correlated with air pollution so it's i just want i i because part of my job at the moment is researching this stuff um on the climate action board and I'm seeing what other cities are doing like Nottingham um, Birmingham, again, and they're all really, really doing bold plans to tackle this stuff. and Yeah, I think is sorry. I've just finished. Yeah. Um, if yeah. you if you provide alternatives to cars, right, like good cycling provision, that's good for car drivers because it eases congestion. It takes it takes those short journeys that aren't essential. People start to make them by bike, and that eases. That frees up road space for for car drivers as well. Who wants to sit in their car during rush hour all the time? So.
1: The Nottingham model is an interesting one, Nick, because I, I I went there with work uh, uh, um, last year, and and one of the things that I observed is that effectively the the Nottingham model has been built very much on you know that balance between carrot and stick. You've got mm-hmm. the you've got the trams, which obviously. One of the advantages is that Nottingham's quite a sort of linear city. It's, it's built around a sort of almost like a central through road with, with large housing estates at either end. Mm. But the stick element is that for businesses in the city, they, they, simply, they simply can't afford to have parking spaces to allow people to drive to work. Um, so, yeah. you know, there is that element of... Of for Nottingham's success is, as you say, built on an alternative with the trams, mm. but it is fundamentally built on ensuring that people simply cannot use their their cars to get to work.
2: Yeah, but I, it's good. Yeah, I think yeah, you know, I think you're right. Um, but the, the carrot and the stick are related because the work workplace parking levy is brought in seventy three million. Um, in the last um, eight years, that's a lot of money. And that money by law has to be spent on public transport, improving public transport. Um, so, And because it's a, a, a guaranteed annual revenue, that um, it leverages in other funds. So it's leveraged in, I think, 800 million, which has enabled them to really improve that tram. They've extended the tram to the south of the city where most of the employers are. Yeah. Um, You've got big companies, there's that credit rating company, Experian or something. They they pay the uh, workplace parking levy for their employees, 3,000 of them. And they're happy to do it. And they say that they they like the tram. They think it gives a good image of um, Nottingham. So, you know, when they first introduced that idea of the workplace parking levy, the local Chamber of Commerce were totally against it. And they said, mm. it's going to destroy Nottingham. It's going to, like the businesses will leave, investors will stop investing, all this kind of stuff, this kind of Armageddon, you know, it's going to be the end of Nottingham. And the complete opposite happened. You know, the businesses have increased by, I think, a quarter, 23,000 jobs more than 2012. It's it's been a win-win for businesses because it's, it's allowed, it's totally eased congestion, it's lowered air pollution, and it's given the city a much more sort of citizenship feel where people feel part of this kind of, mutual endeavour to make
1: the city a nicer place so if you were to look at Portsmouth through a similar lens obviously Mm. one of the challenges that we face as a city is that we're not particularly linear in our design we're Mm. we're more sort of triangular and pointy to use a technical term which obviously (laughs) so so if you were to look at something like that what what would be your solution for Portsmouth now well
2: I think workplace parking levy is an interesting one um we did used to have a tram, didn't we? But um, I, was, I was looking at this last night because I said there's 7,500 businesses or something, but uh, 89% of them are less than 11 employees. And that's the the cap for the workplace parking levy. So 89% um, of businesses wouldn't be affected by that levy. So that would protect you know, the, the, the smaller businesses. But then, yeah, the, the bigger places could you know, gun Wharf would obviously, well, no, gun Wharf actually, I don't know, is, is that, it's mostly customer parking, isn't it? But right. yeah, I think there used to be a tram. Whether you could get away with that now, I don't know. Um, and this is the problem. You've got this kind of vicious circle where how do you intervene in something that has become quite congested and fixed? But I think the, the no-brainer, really, the win-win is definitely increasing cycling provision because if you can do that, that starts to that starts to eat away at those short journeys. Something like I think sixty percent of journeys um, between one and two miles are taken by car, and that's mm. crazy. You know, when you're but right I think to two miles in ten minutes.
1: Yeah, mm. I, but I think this is where I, I, you know, and again, we we've talked about this before and we had Tim Shim and Chase on a, a few weeks back. You know, I I I, I think the the, uh, the issue is simply that the design of our city as it stands for you to create those spaces, sure. you would have to create roads that were either one way in shared spaces or were no car streets. And I think, you know, if we've seen the example of the the parking zones, that, that causes, you know, parking displacement. You know, you, you, if anything, it can be argued that, it, it does pollution no favours as people have to search and drive round and round to find a parking space. Uh, you know, is it that the the problem is so complex that whatever colour the administration, uh, that the, the solution is so unpalatable that no administration will ever grasp the nettle and resolve it?
2: Oh, I don't think that's the case. I think... Um you know, Portsmouth is actually ideally suited it to cycling. It's completely flat. It's very compact, three by three mm. miles. It's absolutely perfect for cycling. And there's loads of back streets that um, could be repurposed for that. Um, low traffic neighbourhoods, stuff like that. You've seen it in Walthamstow. um densely populated. You've seen it in Ghent. Ghent's a similar sized city in, in Belgium. So, you know, I think when you when people start to say, "Oh, Portsmouth's unique," and you know, um, there's nothing we can do, it's a sort of it's a recipe for despair. It's sort of nihilistic, and I think um, you have to you have to study the situation and you have to look for a way forward. Um, and if you look for problems rather than solutions or barriers to change, you'll always find it. there'll always be a barrier or a difficulty. But if you're determined, and the point is, we've really got no choice. I mean, you can't. We can't. Car use rises every year, so you know, and there's not going to be more and more space on those roads. So that something has to shift, something has to change, or we're going to hit gridlock. And also, (laughs) we've got illegal levels of air pollution. We've had them for ten years, and Mm. to the extent that a hard right Tory government has had to impose a clean air zone on a Lib Dem administration, so
1: it's um. Well, and I guess if I—and again, look—the reason why I uh, forgive my scepticism, but yeah. if I share a little story with you, which is that um, back in 1997, I lived in Gosport, and Gosport Council were going to compulsorily purchase my house so that they could put the light railway from the old Gosport railway station, running along the old railway line, to to link up with Portsmouth. And they spent 12 years on that project and well over £50 million. Pounds. And Gosport, you know, some 23 years later, is more gridlocked than ever. And you have one road in and one road out. And to travel the six miles, if you try and leave your house at half seven in the morning, will take you an hour and 20 minutes. And when I first moved to, to, to Caution, which would be, Oh, uh, that would be 17 years ago. Portsmouth was nothing like Gosport. If you drive into Portsmouth now, it, it's it's deja vu. Mm, exactly. But people will still use their cars rather than the alternatives.
2: Well, that's because the alternatives are rubbish. I mean, the bus the bus um, service is rubbish, isn't it? And uh, it's rubbish because it's so congested that it's really slow at peak times which means a lot of people don't use it, which means they put the fares up. So you just get into these vicious... Mm. um, And you have to intervene. But I think your point about Gosport's interesting because what you really need and what you see in in other places, uh, you know, I think in Munich in particular, is a region-wide transport planning. That's what you need. It's not just Portsmouth enough. We get, I think, is it 40,000 people commuting into the city every day, something like that? So it needs to be... It needs to include other boroughs like Havan and Gosport. It needs to be a sort of a a more comprehensive transport plan. And this is part of the problem with privatising the buses. I mean, that's if you look at, I was looking at Reading, they didn't privatise the buses in Reading and they didn't in Nottingham either. And they've got much double, over double the passenger uh, ridership rate because they've been able to pump that money back into they don't have to pay dividends so they can pump any profits back into the service and they can also uh really join up the service and they they can run it so that they can cross subsidize routes and things like that whereas when it's just privatized then if the route's not profitable you just drop it and then people get back in their cars so there's a lot of there are complexities to it i'm not saying it's easy but if we look at other places that you know are as dense you know very densely populated, as congested places like Barcelona, for example, where it's, it's three times as densely populated as Portsmouth. They're trying stuff out that's working quite well. So I think you have to. There has to be some kind of real will to do it, and it, it can't be kind of half assed or sort of timid. It has to be. You have to be determined to to, to resolve this problem because, as you say, it is complex. So it, it needs a real kind of push to make to make those changes it's um
0: i mean it's interesting that you cited several examples of of other other cities where they've to be blunt where they've had to be bold where they've had to actually try different things um and ian was mentioning when we spoke to tim shim and chase before and indeed actually the the conversations where we've spoken some to councillors from from all you know from the three major parties before when we've asked them kind of what you know, what they'd like to do, some of the, some of their solutions around. They all want to do something, but the design of their solution or what it is that they believe is the priority, is slightly different. No. Is um, you know, when you look at as a comparison, and we've used this example before. When you look at Amsterdam, um, I know yeah. um, Friends of the Earth shared a thing on on the internet over the over the weekend, but we've used yeah. them as an example before. Their campaign in the, was it the 70s, the Kindermort, when they had lots of child fatalities mm. on cycle accidents. Where they yeah. campaigned heavily to make cycleways physically separated from the road space, um, and you know, effectively move away from this car worship um, yeah. society to um, to encourage that. Because so Amsterdam, if you go to Amsterdam now, obviously you look at it and it's a, and it's a mecca for um, yeah, uh, you know, for cycling and um, really kind of well thought out, joined up um public transport infrastructure like you know lot, lot lots of European countries are to be honest with you um yeah we almost kind of how do we how do we what's the catch 22 if you, you, you're right in what you're saying is that in order to create the space to do those things we need to get people out of cars in order to get the people out of the cars we need to create the solution how do we how do we kind of start that virtuous cycle instead of the vicious one we're on
2: exactly that's that's the thing is shifting from a, a vicious one to a virtuous one and it is kind of a more of an art, I think, than a science. Um, but I think a key part of it is um, raising awareness of of, of the problem. Um, and, uh, you know, talking about air pollution, talking about the fact, you know, making the, the, the link between air pollution and childhood asthma, making that really strongly, you know, and starting to put that in people's minds about, you know, this driving, this situation with driving is actually giving kids life, lifelong conditions. It's giving uh, hospital admissions go up on uh, bad air days for strokes, for respiratory distress. So that kind of public health message needs to be um, focused on. And, and then you can start to, start to have the conversation about the cost of driving. Because at the moment, it's all about the convenience of driving right. and the costs. They're externalised onto other people. Yeah. And, and, uh, and we need to talk about the costs.
1: And it's, a, it's an interesting one um, because it, it, you're in a, this is probably a strange conversation in that we are three non-car drivers. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> but my, my mine's not optional. Um, I've got my guide dog laying next to me. Okay. Uh, so I can travel by public transport on the buses for free and yeah. have subsidized rail fares. But it's that element of even though I know in my head the things that you've just said about health and and pollution and everything else. If I could drive tomorrow, I'd do it in a heartbeat. Really? Because the alternatives of public transport are so grim Mm. that, you know, again, I'm entitled to a free bus pass every year. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. I don't even bother to pick it up.
2: Yeah. Well, that's damning, isn't it? I mean...
1: Yeah. So, just just thinking about this, you know, and, and again, without wishing to sound too It's <laughs> it, not like you, Ian. what is going to, what what's going to bring? Because effectively, you know, we we've got, and look, Simon and I represent the yellow and the and the blue. So we, we've we've kind of run this city. Our two teams have run it between them for the last twelve years, mm. and whilst. Both sides and 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 Labour as well are, are absolutely adamant. You know, we've spoken to Cal, who, who's councillor for Charles Dickens, and yeah. he, you know he made quite a lot of the points about you know the air quality in Charles Dickens. Yeah. All of the major political parties want to resolve this issue for Portsmouth. I genuinely believe that.
2: Okay, well we did, but, <laughs> but but
1: but my flip side is that the cost of fixing it in terms of Unpopularity, because let's face it—you know—people should. There are more cars on the island than the island can sustain.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: So, to to make that change, you're going to have to put in a system that says, when it comes down to it, you, person A, B, R, Q, X, and Z, you cannot have a car.
2: I don't think so. I think um, if you look at what other places have done, what they do is they um, you raise awareness of the costs, you put in alternatives that um, are attractive, and you promote them. Um, you know, you so you increase um, you train people to cycle. So in Walthamstow, the fifteen thousand people were given free cycle training stuff like that. Um, you get cycling in schools, so you get kids cycling, so you get kind of generational change. But you don't, it's not. You're not saying to people you can't drive. So what they did in Walthamstow is they created low traffic neighbourhoods, and what that means is that you stop through traffic, so that it creates residential streets become much safer and more pedestrian and child friendly, and that kind of what you get is this blossoming of community in those streets. And you know when they did that, then cycling increased 103. percent Walking went up 32 minutes uh, per resident per week. So that's a hell of a lot of increase because it's not, not every resident was walking, you know, 32 minutes more. That's the average. So and once people start walking and cycling more, then you start to get this shift away from that kind of car consciousness. And people start to go, I really like it. And that's what you saw in the lockdown, wasn't it? People saying mm-hmm. fresh air is amazing. You know, it's so nice to have fresh air. So if you can create little pockets of that through the city, where people start to really appreciate car-free spaces, you start to eat away at this kind of car culture, and and then people start to be more open to these bigger changes. So I think, you know, if it was was me in charge, I'd start with a workplace parking levy. Um, I'd put in a much better park and ride, and I'd have a park and ride to the seafront as well. I'd have low-traffic neighbourhoods in areas to stop where rat running, you know, through traffic was a problem. And that would all have to be done with consultation with, with you know, with the residents and, and better cycling provision. And just start with that. And that will start to kind of bring in, it will start to lower congestion and the workplace parking levy would start to bring in money that you could then spend on um, improving bus priority lanes, um, you know, maybe having cycle hubs at stations so that, you know cycle thefts a real problem so you need roadside bike hangers that's what you need mm. you need where so people can park their bike so there's all these sort of things you can do that are not really punitive to car drivers because it's not about punishing car drivers it's about saying you know a, the best plan for for um, uh, a car for, for, for easing car culture is a bike plan you know and it it helps motorists and, and once motorists start to understand Actually, it makes congestion less, then I think you can at the moment it's just got into this polarized thing where we saw this all the time on our campaign where cyclists and car drivers are angry at each other. We've got so many people complaining about cyclists on the pavement, you know. And it is a problem. But if they have better provision, then they're less likely to use the pavements because it's dangerous on the roads it's literally dangerous you know got a thousand people injured um uh, over 10 years so
0: i'm just going to quickly mention some of the comments that we've we've had in the in the um in the facebook room so we've got um, so (laughs) phil has said um he's he's agreed with your point nick that pompey could become the gold standard for a green city in the uk if it thought basically if we you know we applied being an island to how we do that um i think it's made for it and um i don't think he doesn't think that green travel is um that high on the council's uh agenda he also goes on to say that the bus route down the railway in gospel is much better than he thought it would be um and uh malcolm is shocked because he's agreeing with you ian um so bloody hell i know um we can provide assistance for that later on um <laughs> phil suggests that he'd start by banning company vehicles um you've got some households have got two two cars and a and a company van for example um we've been joined by councillor terry norton in the in the in the chat room and he said um cycle training is in schools and portsmouth city council offers free bikeability training up to level two for every year six and some year five children so it's kind of like in some schools yeah, shoes, yeah. But if we're investing in encouraging young people to use bicycles, but then what they find when they actually try to use them is that it's bloody dangerous um, exactly, and really yeah. off putting them, maybe that's why they get out of the habit. So it's mm. like, I guess, kind of the point you're trying to make is that is it the nature of the, the, you know, some of these things aren't joined up. There's a disparate nature of how these things are. They're just as un- not joined up as actually the cycle routes themselves. Um, Absolutely,
2: that's a very good point. It's piecemeal. It's these little yeah. piecemeal measures, and it's not that's not going to do it. It needs a comprehensive plan with political determination to make it happen.
0: Yeah. Okay. And then we've got another one from uh, from Kimberly. Um, I think that all part, all parties do want to improve. I just think that people don't always understand that the council cannot snap their fingers um, and solutions instantly happens. It takes planning, consultation, and money to to do it um and um, she's she goes on to say that she thinks that the government have a have a lot to answer for e.g they want us to impose a clean air zone but will not actually help provide funding to tackle the you know the causes itself so i guess that kind of leads us on to and you've i think you've answered a bit of it if if money and obviously you're you're not affected by the political implications of any solutions if money you know if you could magic an answer you know you've talked about you know those sorts of you know the um the business um parking levy and some you know something joined yeah. up around actually cycle spaces is that that's kind of your your miracle solution is it is it what you'd ask for
2: Yeah i mean obviously you know i i i think um i'd bring together if you look at what bristol did it was quite interesting they brought in public health experts into the transport planning team so that every decision in transport planning had to um, be looked at from a public health lens as well. I think things like that, um, you know, that are quite sort of lateral thinking can help. But I think what you need is a lot more joined up, um, because there's a, there's this sort of um, future high streets bid in Fratton at the moment, isn't there? Yeah. On Fratton Road, as part of a regeneration program, but I'm not sure how much of that has been discussed with the transport planning team and. And how much that could link up with what we're talking about. So I think this seems, from my impression, that the council is quite siloed, and I think this problem needs to be looked at across the board, and needs to have people like Gerald and Steve Pitt, who you know hold a lot of power in the council. They need to actually really push it and get behind it. And I don't buy this thing about not snapping your fingers and all this. You know, how long do you need in power um, before you you have to kind of bite? The bullet, don't you? At some point, and you know, I've met Gerald and I like him as a person, but he—he's—I think he's been leader of the council for twelve of the last sixteen years. If I'm not mistaken, so that's quite a long time to, uh, you know, to to tackle this issue. Well, I don't know the answer I, the question.
1: <laughs> no, I—I I think you raise an interesting point, uh, Nick, because the, the 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 difficulty I think with with Portsmouth as a city politically is. The, the balance of power is is very tight. You know, we've yeah. been no overall, you know, we are pretty much no overall control most of the time. Um, yeah. You know, and we had a period where, you know, back in the dark days of five, six years ago, where, you know, there, there was a, a mini surge in UKIP and they then pushed the Conservatives into power and then they, they melted away. And so you've got the Conservatives and the Liberals who are, pretty much neck and neck, one or two seats in it. So Labour then, you know, have put the Liberals into power, but with the understanding that, you know, they're, they're there almost, you know, with the with the Labour team enabling them. So, uh, you know, it's one, one of my observations is that, you know, a, a lot of these changes, and you, you referenced it, that, that when they're proposed, they are perceived, they are received very negatively, mm in the first instance Mm. and it's only after a number of years of them being worked through that you start to see the pain isn't as bad as you thought it was and the benefits are better than you hoped for so it doesn't then become the political time bomb that potentially in a city that is on you know on a knife edge if you propose that big hairy assed green agenda Mm. And it doesn't go down well. Oh, image. Yeah. Well, you lose control of the council.
2: Yes, I think that's a very good point. Yeah, and I think the electoral cycles are a real problem for, for for doing bold, brave measures because, as you say, it might take longer than a year for the positive effects to be clear.
1: Hmm. And, it it will almost take longer than a year for you to put out the consultation paper that immediately well, yes, yeah, people that was, will, you know, will jump yeah, to the.
2: i agree with you um i mean i i have talked to people about this uh councillors and i've said you know if we if you want to get change why don't you agree on changing the electoral cycles you know isn't that would probably almost be the most consequential thing you could do to further the green agenda is is to stop these yearly electoral cycles um but i don't know why because whenever you talk to these councillors they seem to think yeah it's it's crazy isn't it but and then it's like well if you all think it's crazy then why who's stopping it from changing i don't i don't really understand but i mean that's a sort of side point but i think yeah there are there obviously is a hesitancy to do anything too risky um in in what is always a kind of split council but i think this may be why this is part of what we were saying in our campaign is that, you know, if we can do that for the council, if we can start to make the case that they need to make and, and start to get those arguments out there, you know, and chip away at that kind of um, almost defeatedness that I think there is here. Just mm. the sense that Portsmouth, you know, we just can't do it. it, it other places can do it, but we're sort of uniquely... Yeah kind of challenged or
0: problematic in our setup it's, it's interesting because it kind of returns to what you were saying earlier on is that we see the city as a unique example um by its geography and actually yeah. you know what you what you what you cited as examples where there are other cities with similar issues um and in fact even indeed worse pressures actually on them um and they've managed to kind of find solutions um it's interesting that ian and i have um, skimmed on the subject before about um, political accountability, and it, um, Ian is in. I think Ian might well be in favour of like a four-year of basically electing the whole council in in four-yearly yearly cycles, for exa- for precisely yeah. the reason you're suggesting, which would it would enable um, it would enable um, an elected council an administration with enough of a mandate to be able to do some unpopular things in order to kind of ride yeah. those out for four years. Um, whereas I don't quite agree with his view on that but we take the opposite side with um when it comes to things like proportional representation for example if we had pr in our yeah. local elections then actually maybe we'd have more uh more of a diversity of um political voices and we'd have more coalition building i know that's to to ian that's a different c word that he doesn't like to I'd like to um, I'd like to repeat, making um, me feel queasy. And, and nor do I, to be fair, because <laughs> coalitions aren't really a good experience for the party I like. Um, so, no. um, you know, in, in kind of those sorts, of, it's interesting how the output for the city doesn't really work. work whether it's whether you decide, you know, you know, whether it's the thing about four yearly or yearly elections, or you know, three three out of every four as it is at the moment, or whether it's actually the you know the the people we're electing representing us in a more structured way. It's is actually you 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 know cuz what organisations like yours are doing is that like you just said there if you're trying to get the public engaged and on board then it stops it being actually such a political football it stops it being such a
2: toxic issue to do
1: yeah.
0: the right thing is that
2: yeah absolutely we we invited the conservative party to join the campaign because we um we obviously we had Stephen Morgan on one of our kind of social media posters um and we invited Penny Morden and uh and I had a chat with um Robert New I think he's the Tory guy Tory environment guy and at first he was seemed quite enthusiastic but then he went he said he'd have to go and speak to his you know other people about it and then I got this email saying <laughs> yeah you but know no. we don't want can you not can you put the campaign on hold pause and we can you know set up a cross-party working group, and um, and anyway, we can't work with anything that's got anything to do with Extinction Rebellion, because they're criminals. <laughs> it, it, so it was yeah. like, okay, well, that's, you know, um, didn't feel particularly constructive, but it's a shame, because we really wanted um, to the Tory party to be on board. We really wanted it to be cross-party, and we couldn't really invite the Lib Dems, because that just felt weird, you know, we, we couldn't petition, couldn't get members of the administration to petition themselves, but we just wanted to get that sort of the idea that this, this is about, this is something that I think it's the same with climate change. It, it's not, never going to work unless all the parties sign up to it. Mm. Um, because, you know, if they get in power in four years' time and they just reverse everything, it, it, we're, we're sort of doomed by these electoral yeah. cycles because what we need is long-term yes. um, planning.
0: Yeah, because all of, all of the solutions and definitely all of the problems are going to out outlive all of us, right? Um, it's yeah. interesting you you say that because um, at one of the hustings at the general election in December, if anyone can cast their memory back that far, um, you facilitated it in primary school actually. Um, yes. Yeah. I remember that, yeah. Um, so I asked the um, the candidates that were there. Well, actually, um, to because um, unfortunately Donna couldn't make it because she was dealing with some sort of plane based advertising thing um The the question I asked was was actually pretty much what you're saying is that bearing in mind we can't afford to waste time waiting for the perfect solution to these issues, could you um. not just agree to not attack each other on these issues and just work together to find a solution that you can do even if it's not perfect but just it's that do something, Mutley. It's the you know c- could you at least yeah. do that and you know to be fair I wasn't entirely overly enamored by Stephen Morgan's response because it, it didn't really kind of commit to anything um but I, I admit that I'm biased because I'm you know apart from living in Portsmouth North I'm not going to vote for him anyway um yeah but but it, it kind of just it just strikes me that come on we all see there's an issue it's the it's the it's almost like you want to bang some heads together and say
1: well come on <laughs> and isn't and it and strange that that that, and just to cut in there Simon that I think the one thing we can all violently agree on and, and I'm going to pitch this out there and hope it lands violently is agreeing, that yeah. the, only, the only way that this is going to get solved is that if we leave our colours behind of blue, yellow, green, red
2: it's a and we actually just... reason, yeah and I agree with you um, and it doesn't it just seems like that's quite far off down here it just seems very tribal mm-hmm. Um And, you know, there seems to be a lot of kind of ill feeling between certainly between the Labour Party and the Lib Dems. Um, And I I, I don't know what to do about it, because, you know, to to be frank with all of you guys, you're transparent, I'm a Labour Party member, Mm -hmm. um, but I'm not tribal. I just want to see solutions and I'm willing to work with anyone that is sincere about it. You know, I don't care what you've done in the past or whatever, you know, as long as you're not sort of overtly racist or homophobic or whatever, but it, you know, I think this, that we have to kind of put this stuff aside and say, look, this is, it doesn't matter whether you're, you know, you're a Tory or Lib Dem or Labour or whatever, your child is going to inherit this mess. And, and, you know, it's it's just tiring for me because I really want, to be able to sit down with everyone and just kind of go, look, let's sort this out, let's fix this. Um, but that doesn't seem to be the way politics works down here. There's a lot of, um, I think, point scoring, anger really at each other between, you know, for for some of the tactics and things that have been done, and you know I think maybe some of it has been quite underhand. But it's not something I want to get into and. I came to this from Extinction Rebellion. And one of the great things about Extinction Rebellion is that they're not into kind of naming, shaming, blaming culture, although I, I probably have done a little bit of that during this thing. But it's very much about, you know, what can we do? How can we find common ground, you know?
1: So, Nick, that's been fascinating. And I think there is definitely more for us to talk about on this subject because, you know, it's not going away anytime soon. Yep. Um and, and thank you for for sharing your time and, and your your thoughts with us. So I think there's there's a lot there a lot more there to think about and talk about. So Brilliant. Um, thanks ever so much. And we're at the hour. And you've been listening to the Pompey Politics Podcast.
0: Blue and yellow till we die.
1: I've been in Titan Morris.
0: And and our guest has been Nick Sedley from Pompey Street Space. And I've been Simon Sandsbury. <laughs>